This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Facebook announcing that they have discovered and dismantled what they suspect is another Russian disinformation campaign aimed at American voters. Fewer than 100 days before you head to the polls. Security is an arms race, and it's never done. Setting up fake sites, getting real Americans to like, follow these pages. We've made it harder for inauthentic actors to operate on Facebook. They're finding disinformation that we're producing ourselves, and they're amplifying it. The people at home don't know. They're looking at Facebook. These things look real. I know. These guys are really good. We Hello and welcome to Trumpcast. I'm Virginia Heffernan. So Paul Manafort looks super uh, hot in the courtroom sketches of him this week. His roots are brown and he holds himself regally. I mean, he's so insouciant. Paul is a man of the finer things. Cufflinks, indoor putting greens, 11-speed rainfall showerhead, sub-zero fridges. He also buys very new Tabriz rugs for tens of thousands of dollars. So he never needs to launder them because they do the laundering for him if you know what I mean. Now, let's also remember that Manafort is not just a funny, venal, American creepy high flyer like Phil Spector or something. He's entwined entirely with Russia-aligned Viktor Yanukovych, now in exile for putting down protesters in Ukraine, and Russia-aligned Oleg Deripaska, two extremely evil dudes who are proxies for Vladimir Putin. So that's less fun than the fancy showers and the M-shaped flower beds. But Manafort's never been as fun as he seems. And I think the same thing of Roger Stone. They're just not charming guys. And he doesn't actually look that great in the flattering portraiture done in court. Today, my topic is Facebook, and my guest is my friend and colleague in the social media minds, Siva Vaidyanathan. Siva has just published a terrific book about Facebook called Anti-Social Media, and he's here to illuminate Facebook's past, present, and future, especially as it impacts, or no, drives, politics around the world. I'll be back with Siva in just a minute, but first, do you guys know I'm a connoisseur of Facebook apologies, of every time Mark Zuckerberg has issued a mea culpa, an apologia, a deep, profound, dramatic act of contrition? Well, what's great about today's show is we have the latest apology from Facebook. We came here for the friends, and then we got to know the friends of our friends and our first loves. And we got embarrassed when mom and dad joined. We laughed together. We liked pictures, we shared jokes. But then something bad happened. We fucked up. And we know it. And we're so freaked out right now that you're gonna leave us. We want you to stay, okay? Honestly, we cannot sleep. We feel so dumb that we let you down. We as a company are going to start going to therapy. We've been resisting it, but honestly, it's just a good thing for anyone to do. And we're going to stop drinking. Some companies can drink and it's fine and fun and cool, but we've begun to realize we're not one of those companies and that's okay. 
Look, the thought of losing you makes us want to be a better company. Can you please give us one more chance? Seriously, please, we do not know what we will do if you go. That's not a threat of self-harm or anything, but honestly, like right now, we can't imagine life without you. We really didn't appreciate you like we should have, okay? And we are never going to make that mistake again. We're so sick about it. We know we've said this before, but this time we promise, promise, promise to change because we are good together. You can feel that, right? Remember? Please remember. Facebook. Our sketch was written and performed by Steve Waltine. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Joining me on the line is Siva Vaidyanathan. He's the Robertson Professor of Media Studies and Director of the Center for Media and Citizenship at the University of Virginia. Siva, welcome back to Trumpcast. Oh, it's great to be here. Thank you. Um, I love talking to you about Facebook. I have for years, but now especially since you have this book that basically, I think, closes the book on on Facebook, at least Facebook to date. It's such a sprawling, (laughs) crazy civilization. But you're like the gibbon of it, you know, the historian, <laughs> the, the, what the decline and fall of the Roman oh, I Empire. I like the ape. I am the, is... the bonobo of, of Facebook. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. So, what I did not like that Facebook recently was outed or outed itself for targeting people interested in mindfulness. That is <laughs> low. That's low because I am interested in mindfulness and I can basically click and buy any meditation cushion or anything, any ideology anyone is selling me as long as it comes with the word mindful. So good for you, Facebook. You caught me. You would have caught me if I wasn't off Facebook. What else is going on at Facebook? Well, look, let's let's rewind to November 2016, the dark, darkest days, right? When, um, well, actually, I have to say things got darker because things got real. But November 2016, Mm -hmm. we all start going, what the heck happened? And we all start going back through and trying to reconstruct how Trump managed to win enough electoral votes, at least 80,000 votes over three states. We're a bit baffled, right? And I was involved in a lot of these conversations, and I'm sure you were as well. And in fact, you had them on this very podcast. And one of the things that was clear to me, and this was my pitch for this book that became anti-social media, I had been tracking the ways in which there had been a series of news stories about how Trump wasn't up on the air in all of these alleged swing states, right? And that phrase, up on the air, is like classic 1980s campaign coverage. You know, how come he's not up on the air? How come he's not buying ads in Nevada? How come he's not buying ads in Florida, right? On TV, right? There was this assumption that that is how a campaign demonstrates its interest and commitment in a particular part of the country. But in fact, if you'd been paying close attention, 
Facebook was the site of Trump's campaign. Trump was putting massive amounts of money and attention into Facebook ads. Now, if you happen to know how Facebook ads work, that makes total sense. Trump is a is a cheap guy. He doesn't actually like spending money. Uh, Facebook is so much cheaper than radio or television or any other kind of campaign ad. Facebook also, unlike every other advertising platform ever made except for Google, will ensure that your ad gets seen by the people who are likely to be interested in that ad and by no one else. So the precision of the targeting that Facebook offers is like masterful. It's genius. It's brilliant. It's world-changing. It has, of course, upended the world of journalism and commercial content. And all of this money is rushing away from, you know, hardworking journalists who are actually trying to explain the truth to the world and rushing to Facebook and Google. So so let's the last time you were here with Nick Thompson at Wired, you guys were talking about the IRA indictments. Those are the indictments and some people still mix that up i sometimes do with the irish revolutionary army so it's <laughs> irish republican big, army yeah, right. the republican army so the, yeah. the this ira is the internet research agency kind of suspiciously named outfit in um saint petersburg manned by i think a chef and a cop a russian right. uh, former russian chef and former russian cop oligarchs and then they have a bunch of trolls working for them now this these indictments to date in February were sort of they were signed by special counsel Robert Mueller only. And they um, they seemed like sort of the biggest thing connecting Russian interference to uh, spelling out the specifics of Russian interference on social media and tying it to pro-Trump um, influences in Russia. So it didn't map the way to co- collusion. But suddenly we had names and addresses in St. Petersburg uh, connected to what we had all experienced as, you know, a complete assault on information space and Facebook. So that's the other side of what happened on Facebook in 2016, right? So there was there were these um, ephemeral ads, and and the, by the way, the the problem with Trump's ads on Facebook, and actually the problem with all political candidate ads on Facebook at that time, is that they are they're removed from the public sphere. You cannot answer them. Right. You can't respond to them because they are ephemeral. They disappear right away. There's no archive of them there. You don't even have to declare that, you know, I'm Donald Trump and I approve this ad. Right. They Mm -hmm. just come and go, which is why they can be um, masked as organic content rather easily. uh, And there's just no oversight of it. So, like, if I'm running against you for state assembly or state representative, I can say, I can say, you know, Virginia Heffernan is a shoplifter and I could run it in a bunch of Facebook ads and aim it at people who own stores and they would those ads would disappear within days and you might never know that that ad w- was out there. And if none of your supporters made a recording of it, there's no evidence that it was ever out there. And so you can't really respond. Journalists can't respond. The public sphere is desiccated. It's like barren because political communication becomes private, essentially, private Mm. and targeted and provincial in the worst possible ways, right? So you can say all kinds of stuff on Facebook ads and get away with it with no blowback, which you can't do on television, for instance, right? So that's one problem. And Facebook is trying to fix that. And we'll talk about how well or poorly it's doing it for 2018. Then the other thing was exactly what you mentioned, the the Internet Research Agency, this, this St. Petersburg company working on behalf of the Russian government flooding Facebook 
in the United States, and by the way, they do this around the world, uh, with ads that are meant to mess with us. So ostensibly, they are meant to, you know, fracture our society and any sense of common mission or common fate, right? So so they, they pretended to be Black Lives Matter groups. They pretended to be Texas secession groups. They pretended to be pro-Trump groups and some anti-Trump groups and pro-immigration groups and pro-Bernie Sanders groups. And by right? the way, and, and, you know, I think yeah. we've talked about, I think in, in 2012 when Obama was using Facebook and and certainly in, in 2008 when their incipient digital campaigns were happening, the idea was that Facebook was the way to reach the young, that digital was right. a campaign geared <laughs> at the young. We've both noticed, of course, that Facebook is, you know, a retirement community with a sleepy, <laughs> cognitively vulnerable population um, there um, who are sitting ducks for this and who also vote and who are, like, right. very interested in, like, defining themselves around certain uh, cultural flashpoints and third rail issues that the Russians are good at exploiting. That's one thing. But the other thing is, you mentioned the Black Lives Matter interventions they made into Black Lives Matter. Jamel Bowie always reminds us that Russians made interference into into civil rights, exploited civil rights, the civil rights movement during the Cold War. This is a typical, right out of the the Soviet playbook to, um, to right. widen race gaps. But that said, didn't you, or am I misremembering, get taken in a little bit by the very convincing blacktivist page? Yes. Yeah. Uh, and I'm not the only one. I mean, many of my friends thought it was yet another... Black Lives Matter uh, oriented group. And it, it just, you know, I shared some content from it because it didn't seem obviously wacko. Yep. Um, I, I don't know that I did it more than twice, but I certainly remember seeing Blacktivist content and I'm certain I shared it. Uh, I, I might not have shared much of it, but I did, right? Because it's just in the flood, right? The Again, look at the visual culture, the visual experience yes. of Facebook. It's this scroll where you don't actually pay attention to the cues and the sources and how odd things are. And you almost never click through things. So, that's you know, why, that's, that's how why easy I, it is to that, spread Exactly. Stuff. And that's why I bring up this cognitive vulnerability, because sometimes when we're talking about Facebook, it seems like we're talking about, you know, a bunch of dumb users of Facebook who are non-digital natives who have no idea what they're doing and have right-wing biases to begin with and that you know these attacks were only would only pick off the low-hanging fruit of dumb people that's not true at all as i said in the beginning i would have fall for, fallen for this m facebook mindfulness um you know fish fishing thing and i did fall i've said on the show before i fell for false equivalents between antifa and neo-nazis and not long ago right. what was that less than a year ago and i mean it was you almost and I have, exactly a year right? ago and you and i <laughs> I've been writing about this stuff for, you know, since we started our career. So I don't I think that this was a very effective attack is what I mean. And if it were a chemical attack, we would say that, you know, lots of us got smallpox. Put it that way. Right. Now, the IRA and the Russians, they're not the only source of this kind of attack, mm -hmm. nor this this sort of um, chaotic flood of nonsense. So there are I, um, I, I have to find a better word for it, but alt-right and anti-women groups in the U.S. that do similar things. They will try to mess with us in similar ways, draw us into groups and and pages that might sway us or or fool us, right? And they and they use both YouTube and Facebook very effectively. Uh, and they seem to be fairly well funded. And I know that there are a number of journalists and researchers who are trying to get to the bottom of who's behind these other groups. So let's also remember that. 
even if we got rid of all of the Russian nonsense from U.S. elections, we would still have this problem. The problem that we see on Facebook is a function of Facebook's wide vulnerability to being hijacked and Facebook users vulnerability, which is established by the very structure of Facebook, how it's built, how it's presented to us, how we use it. It's a disaster. It's really the the best possible machine for propaganda, especially for like nationalist and racist and misogynistic and authoritarian propaganda. It's a dream come true. You could not invent a better mm. system for authoritarian and nationalist propaganda than Facebook. I remember when people were in the 1990s were the first sort of starting websites and e-commerce businesses and instantly were outsourcing to Russia because uh, Russian programmers had, were, were legion to begin with and they would cheaply program our backends. I don't know if you remember, right. we were constantly contracting right. them. So we really like, we really opened the door um, to sort of merging the two cultures and tipping our hand to what we were doing. Not only that, but, you know, we can get into to, uh, operating systems uh, later, but, um, you know, yes. Again, <laughs> On your well, other podcast. Give, exactly. The, the Hardcore Geek Podcast. The Hardcore Geek <laughs> Podcast, but giving, giving the Russians the keys to the American internet. Uh, also, yeah. um, this thing of, I don't know if you saw the MIT study um, about, how who circulates fake news i'm sure you saw it but right. and sort of yeah. what motivates them and you know the subjects they pick and and the angles that the ira exploited and other and other um foreign actors exploit are definitely the ones that trigger um disgust and the kind of a uh, outrage and shock and also who, that are like most luridly fictional that's the other weird right. thing is like we just right. like this freaking weird QAnon fictions, you know? That's right. So, so while we're all vulnerable to being fooled and you and I have been fooled, we're not equally vulnerable to being fooled. Uh, yeah. It, you know, and this is the, the research that was done and it was a sort of combined MIT and Harvard study, the Berkman Center at Harvard and the um, uh, and a number of different uh, institutions at MIT. Uh, Ethan Zuckerman is this brilliant scholar yes. there, um, you know, worked up this report uh, in, in conjunction with Jochai Benkler from Harvard Law School. And, and what it showed was that um, sort of habitually uh, and, uh, um, and opportunistically, hard right content, the Breitbarts of the world, um, was just much more frequently shared and shared within these tightly knit communities uh, that would just reinforce themselves and and go down deep rabbit holes and and we see this we see this on YouTube especially there's a, 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 a there's a bunch of brilliant research coming out of the data and society think tank in in New York that that is tracking how you know right wing groups uh, are using YouTube especially to send people down down these ideological rabbit holes. But so Facebook and YouTube are linked, right? It's all part of the same ecosystem as, you know, 8chan and 4chan and Reddit and Twitter are all attached and Fox News is attached and they're attached in different ways and they influence each other in different ways. But remember, Facebook is the big one, right? Facebook has 2.2 billion users around the world, 220 million regular users in the United States, 250 million regular users in India, right? Which is the yeah, largest amazing. Facebook co country in the world. Um, so nothing comes close, right? 2.2 billion for Facebook, 1.6 billion users for YouTube, which is, you know, 
that's a huge number, but it's not 2.2, right? There's a big difference between 1.6 and 2.2 billion. And then like Twitter's not even on, on the, in the top 10, it's down at like 300 million and who knows how many of those are actual human beings. Right. So, um, so it's that when people talk about propaganda systems like that, it's important to remember that yes, it's an ecosystem where Fox news matters and Facebook matters, but Facebook is the big one. And, but Facebook did just what, now was it last Monday? Oh my God, I'm getting confused. You know what I'm going to say? When Facebook had to downscale its number of active monthly users, um, it resulting in the you know opening at 18 percent down, the what the biggest loss? Well, yeah, right. So so Facebook the, reported, and, and this yep. is basically the second quarter in a row that growth was flat or zero, effectively in North America. Uh, however, uh, growth continues everywhere else, which is where the world is growing and where young people are coming from, right? So there's still strong growth in Indonesia, in the Philippines, in India, in, you know, in other parts of Southeast Asia, in Kenya, in Nigeria, basically uh, in Brazil and Mexico, mm-hmm. huge growth, right? Mm-hmm. So Facebook is not in trouble. Now, every user in the United States is worth more ad money than every user in India, but that may be a temporary uh, and but also remember that 250 million people in India and 220 million people in the United States. But the future of Facebook may be in India, but already the present of, in, of Facebook is in India. Uh, and we've actually seen the political ramifications of India. The, I mean, sorry, the political ramifications of Facebook much more acutely in India, where mm-hmm. uh, Narendra Modi uses Facebook better than any politician in the world. He has more Facebook followers than any politician in the world. He is beloved. He is hugged by Mark Zuckerberg. He is the most wired politician. Uh, and, and in many ways, I would say the most popular politician in the world. I mean, he has more voters and more supporters and more people are willing to kill and die for him than any other politician in the world. And his method of communicating with his voters and of harassing his opponents mm. and threatening his opponents, threatening them with rape and kidnap and murder and, and you know, and making their lives miserable is Facebook and WhatsApp. And of course, WhatsApp is also owned by Facebook. So he knows what he's doing and he knows how to leverage Facebook to, to establish and maintain power. And it, he's writing the playbook that people like Rodrigo Duterte have been using in subsequent years, uh, the same playbook that the Leave campaign and Brexit used, the same playbook that Brad Pascal used here in the United States and will use again. I have to say we got lucky. We haven't seen the same sort of coordinated harassment from the campaign itself and the political party itself in the United States that, for instance, Modi's party does in India, but that may just be coming down the road. We got lucky. Okay, I'll hold on to that. Um, what, <laughs> yeah. um, what, okay, so you were here last um, after the those Russian indictments, that was February or early spring, and a lot has happened since then with Facebook. I mean, maybe we might put it into, th- I don't know, roughly three stages. So initial, initially, there was what I think, you know, we might refer to as the pretty crazy idea moment a couple weeks after the election when Mark Zuckerberg made what looked to all the world like a uh, listening tour for a presidential campaign and hired some whatever because Facebook had won the election for Trump. So maybe it could win the election for him. Anyway, out on the road, asked about fake news and said the idea that Facebook had influenced the election, fake news on on Facebook had influence the election was a, quote, pretty crazy idea. He walked that back later. He made a mea culpa by the fall. It was Yum Kipper. He was beating his chest and saying he was so sorry. And then we have the indictments and they keep pledging to reform and also Facebook releasing very heartwarming um, ads that, um, you know, suggest that they fucked up, but now they're um, 
they are begging for our trust back um, and that they're going to be more honest. Okay. So what has actually happened? Yeah. So, I mean, it's remarkable, the bubble that Mark Zuckerberg has been living in for all these years, right? His his views of the world are constructed from two perches. One is Northern California, like the Palo Alto region, and the other is Davos. So he understands the world because he gets to have lunch with Henry Kissinger, right? So he doesn't actually get deeply into anything, and he won't recognize or admit how powerful and influential this machine is, this machine that he built, right? He won't call the monster a monster, but internally that became impossible to ignore. You know, he had people working for him, like Alex Stamos recently resigned as the secure head of security there. Yeah, fascinating figure been, for our more geeky uh, offshoot of this show. Alex yeah, Stamos. Yeah, right. So he had been pushing, and, and a lot of people inside Facebook had been pushing Zuckerberg to recognize that, yeah, they had been hijacked and some bad stuff was going on around the world. I mean, again, worse in other countries than our country. We have not yet experienced the sort of fallout that uh, like genocide that we've seen in Myanmar or Sri Lanka, the sort of nastiness we saw in the Kenyan election last year, right? This kind of stuff again, we you know, we've been pretty genteel. But Zuckerberg finally could not could not resist um this story anymore and he he came clean as much as one can. And ever since then, Facebook has been trying to clean up its act. So it takes these two phenomena. One, the pollution that comes from the Internet Research Agency, right? Mm -hmm. What they call inauthentic groups, inauthentic pages, inauthentic accounts. And they try to cleanse Facebook of those. And the other is they have tried their best, they think, (laughs) to make sure that political campaigns, legitimate political campaigns, when they run ads... They actually declare who's running the ad. They actually keep an archive so that you can go back and look at them later, although it remains to be seen how effective that will be for oversight, right? And so they institute this new program. That's one of the reasons that they have been, Facebook has been flagging any promoted post with any political language in it, whether that is a story from the New York Times or from Slate. Uh, or it's a book that someone published recently that takes on political issues, hmm. uh, or uh, or you know even a panel at a university about politics. Those things all get flagged by Facebook, and and the, and then the the poster is required to register as a political organization mm-hmm. with Facebook and like reveal your political nature, right? And of course, most of these people being flagged are like, what? We're not going to do that. We're, you know, so all of these ads and promoted posts are being blocked because Facebook doesn't have a scalpel. It only has a sledgehammer and it's trying its best to make sure that, you know, if you're going to run a political ad, you are who you say you are. So mm-hmm. as a result, they just capture everything that might be a political ad. So that might only go on until November, because what Facebook has been doing is hopping country to country for the past two years, Germany, France, the Netherlands, right? Then the UK snap election, then the, then the, uh, the Irish referendum on abortion. Every time there is a major election somewhere, Facebook has put its team there to try to clean up Facebook and limit Russian interference and try to be as, uh, as, as transparent as possible so that they can run some good headlines and say, Hey, look, we caught X number of accounts that were trying to infiltrate the German election and we cleaned up hate speech and then they move on to the next country but they're doing nothing globally they're certainly doing nothing to clean up india or mexico where we just had a huge election right uh and and it's this real piecemeal effort now in one sense they're experimenting with different things and they might eventually get to the point where they can roll out a global you know cleanup elections system but more likely than not they are just 
scrambling and scraping and failing and trying their best to say, hey, we caught 30-something accounts that might be Russian, but we can't really say they're Russian because we can't really be sure because it turns out the Russians are really smart, which is really what happened last week. (laughs) Well, what? uh, All right. So it does seem like everyone agrees, and you've been saying this longer than anyone else, that Facebook is a problem and is impossibly fatally flawed. Um, right. and, um, and I even heard Stephanie rule on MSNBC the other day say that, like, as if it was just a consensus that Facebook should just shut it, da- shut itself down and get its <laughs> shit together. And now I see on Twitter, not that I'm reading Twitter while we're talking, but that Facebook is down and has been down. I don't know if you saw that for two hours. Charlotte Clymer, one of my favorite people on Twitter just said, shut down log <laughs> hour two supplies dwindling morale low. <laughs> Um, so Facebook is down. I, I have to okay. check that my puppy's still alive. <laughs> exactly. I, I assume that um, that uh, this doesn't represent they ha- they aren't uh, drawing the curtains to um, to get some reforms down there. But but short of shutting down for a long period of time and um, and really radically renovating it and taking whatever hit the stock market's going to dole out to them, um, what could they do? Nothing. Wow. They really can't. It's yeah. too big. 2.2 billion people, 120 languages, and even in the United States, it's just too big. Consider this, like handling the German election, making sure there's, you know, there're no Russian there's no Russian infiltration of the German election isn't that hard. Germany's a pretty big country, but it's a it's a self-contained country. It's a national election, right? It's pretty well defined. Uh, and you kind of know what the Russians are going to try to do to Germany, right? It's all very predictable and mm-hmm. handleable. Mm-hmm. In the United States, we have 435 congressional elections in November. You know, we have, you know, who knows how many hundreds of state elections going on at the same time, city elections going on at the same time. Like, we have so much potential for chaos and and and, and so many different agents doing it. So, again, not just Russia, right? It's an impossible thing. Like Facebook is just too big to spread out. And Facebook, remember, gives us the ability to say almost anything except try to sell a book that's of a political nature and try to buy an ad for it, apparently. But, you know, or breastfeeding right out, right? Acts of love can't be expressed. Yeah. But um, but nonetheless, right, it is just unwieldy. So it's not a hard problem to get make sure there's no anti-Semitic or Holocaust denial content running in Germany. It's a really hard problem to make sure there is no call to genocide on Facebook and WhatsApp in Myanmar, right? It's a, just mm-hmm. a completely different problem. You can't predict what people are going to say. You, you're acting against the interest of the government. You're trying to hire people who speak Burmese and are willing to be critics of the government and work for Facebook against the interests of the government. It's just a mess. That's unfixable. Mm-hmm. The U.S. elections are basically unfixable. They will do their best. But remember, one of the things they're doing is collaborating with the NSA and the FBI in this. And that's really interesting. That, you know, I have to say, like, that should put us off a little bit. Facebook is asking for the FBI and the NSA to help identify troublesome posts. Not sure, even though like we're supposed to all be FBI fans, you know, this year, (laughs) um, I'm not sure that's a healthy process Mm -hmm. for democracy going forward, given the fact that we have no reason to think that the FBI is actually going to give Black Lives Matter cites the benefit of the doubt, right? Historically, that has not been their orientation. 
Uh, so I, you know, I have to, I have to, I have to say that what they're trying to do right now is, is, is really a process of scrambling and experimentation in a mess of a situation. So mm-hmm. I don't see a way out. Ugh. All right. Well, I um, am <laughs> still glad I asked and um, maybe a way out will present itself. And at the very least, we can stay mindful and meditate right. during this time and not. Well, here's the good uh, news. Here's yeah. the good news. It turns out, believe it or not, you and I are not the smartest people in the world. Believe it or not. You know, right? you're just oh, you might be, but right I'm not. Right. <laughs> and and given that and I'm out here saying I don't see a way out. I don't think there's anything Facebook can do. And I don't think there's anything that we can do to help Facebook or hurt Facebook. Right. Out there, there's some smarter people who are taking that challenge and saying, what is this guy saying? Of course, there's a way out and I'm going to figure it out. I would like nothing more than to be asked four or five years from now about something in my book and say, oh, that book, I was so completely wrong. Mm. Like they totally fixed the problem. (laughs) You know, my bad, please ignore my book. I would be so happy if you could just ignore my book. (laughs) In 2018, you probably shouldn't ignore my book. Thank you so, so much for being here, Siva. And your book, Anti-Social Media, is a great contribution, a leading contribution to this um, vexed discussion of Facebook. Thank you. Thanks. Great. That's it for today's show. Trumpcast is produced by Jason DeLeon. You guys got to follow us on Twitter at RealTrumpCast for all things Trumpcast. I'm Virginia Heffernan. Thanks for listening to Trumpcast. All of these ads and promoted posts are being blocked because Facebook doesn't have a scalpel. It only has a sledgehammer and it's trying its best to make sure that You know, if you're going to run a political ad, you are who you say you are. So as a result, they just capture everything that might be a political ad. Marilyn, as your doctor, I'm going to level with you. The diagnosis is not good. Oh, God. Okay. I want to do surgery as soon as possible. All right. And I, I hope you're aware of my surgical philosophy. I do not use a scalpel. I use a sledgehammer. Like metaphorically, like you get in there and you eradicate everything. Straight up literal. Okay. I I don't understand how you would do that. It it, it does not. I'm not a surgeon. I don't mean to tell you your business. That does not seem like a good way to go about it. I did not say that there weren't going to be risks. Triple negative. So wait, which is it? There's risks. I'm using a sledgehammer on your body.